This is a Federal News Network podcast. It might seem like the 4th of July weekend was just a couple of months ago, but now 2023 is only three weeks away. It's the season of lists. Make them once and check them twice. And while you're making lists, be sure you've got a year-end financial checklist here with what should be on it. Financial coach and retired federal executive Abe Grungold. Abe, good to have you back. Tom, thank you for having me on again. Well, let's get right into it. What should be on someone's list for financial wellness, financial well-being coming up in 2023? Let's talk about TSP contributions. Certainly before federal employees should be heading to a holiday Christmas party, be thinking about the increase to TSP contributions, which the law has changed this year. For 2023, a federal employee who's under the age of 50 years old can contribute $22,500 per year, and a federal employee who's over the age of 50 can contribute $30,000 per year. And these numbers are increased from 2022, and it's a great opportunity to get this done before 2023 begins. And would you also say it's a really good time to increase TSP precisely because the funds are low? You're buying low. You're buying at the bottom. Yeah, so you're doing something called dollar average uh, cost investing. You are buying shares at various prices as the market goes up and down. And now it's an excellent opportunity for you to be buying these shares at a lower price point. And doing this helps you to increase the value of your portfolio as you get closer to retirement. All right. So once again, under 50, up to 22.5 and over 50, 30,000. Yes. And as federal employees always think about per pay period for the under 50 age employees, it's $865 per pay period. And the over 50, it's $1,153 per pay period. So it is an increase. And if you can afford to do it, that's the most important thing. If you can afford to do it, it's to your advantage to maximize your contributions. All right. So maybe skip that electric Cadillac and get something for half as much, then the difference could be your entire TSP contribution for the year. Yes, and, and look, the, the key to being a TSP millionaire is to maximize your contributions and to invest as aggressively as you can tolerate. All right, and then we've got the flexible spending account. There have been some federal rule changes in that for 2023, if you can still get in on the changes. Yeah, the flexible spending account is a wonderful benefit that federal employees can take advantage of setting aside money for either dependent care for a child under the age of 14 or for health benefits, uh, such as going to the physician or paying for medicines. So you're setting aside this amount of money during the year, and it helps to reduce your tax liability. So the There's been an increase to the federal spending account contribution, and that has increased $200 to a maximum of $3,050 per year. That's like eight pairs of glasses. (laughs) Yes, and and it, it it really helps. It can reduce your tax liability significantly, 
And I always took advantage of this benefit. It it really makes a difference. And if you still have money left over at the end of the year, you still have a period of time into the following year to use that money up so you don't have to worry. We are speaking with Abe Grungold, owner of AG Financial Services and a retired 36-year federal employee. And on the tax front, I mean, it's pretty straightforward for most federal employees. But if your spouse is employed, you might have to do something with your W-4 withholding form. Yes, this is very common for federal employees who get married or a federal employee who has several jobs. They might have their full-time position with the government and maybe they teach on the side or they do some other type of work on the side outside of the government. So you have to make sure that you are having enough tax taken out of your payroll. And if you have a second job outside of the government and you're getting a 1099, you're not paying enough tax. If your spouse has a position who is working, maybe the two of you are not paying enough tax. So this is the time of the year to make a change in your W-4. And you could do that through your payroll department or some employees are able to do it online. But this is a very important thing. It happened to me when I was an active federal employee that I had several jobs outside of the government. I was earning some money here and there, and then I realized I wasn't paying enough tax. Yes, if you have regular 1099, you can also make quarterly estimated payments, and that'll reduce that surprise bite possibly at the time when you prepare your taxes. Yes, quarterly estimated taxes are a good thing to do, but you really need to fill out a tax return, and then you get that information after you've you submitted your, your taxes. But the W-4, you can get ahead of it. You can get ahead of it to say, you know, I'm getting married, or I think I'm going to be teaching next year. I need to make additional tax payments through my W-4. And it's easy to do. It's easy to do. And then uh, what about annual leave? Use it, lose it. How do those rules work? And what should you be doing at this time to make sure you're not losing anything in next year's 2023 period? Yes, annual leave is something where you need to calculate the amount of vacation time that you're still going to earn through the end of the year. And if you exceed 240 hours, uh, you have the risk of losing that annual leave. Now, for postal employees, they're allowed to accumulate 560 hours of annual leave. So they have a higher threshold to reach. But most, most federal employees have the 240 hours. So if you are going to reach, say, 248 hours before December 31st, you need to take a day off before that happens, or you're just going to lose that day. And let me ask you in the larger sense, what kinds of financial thinking should people do as the year-end approaches? A lot of people want to talk about maybe paying off some debts they might have, say a car loan or a home equity loan, that kind of thing. Good idea to start planning that now? Tom, that's an excellent question. With inflation today, federal employees and federal retirees really need to look at their budget 
for next year, not just for their mortgage, but how much are they spending on gas, commuting to the office? How much are they spending on all the utility bills? Because with inflation and the rising cost, everything is just going up next year. So you should really prepare a budget for 2023 and try to get a better handle on your expenses to see where you need to make some adjustments. So don't just make a budget, but be prepared to stick to it. Yes, and that's very hard to do because many things come up during the year. You know, you you have a a car issue where you need to make a car payment uh, to repair it, or you have a medical issue and you have a medical payment that's just not planned for. So you need to have a cash reserve. You need to have a cash reserve to plan for those unforeseen uh, events. So budget for that too then. Yes, it's very important to have a cash reserve. And I hate to say that federal employees may be faced with a federal furlough coming up in mid-December, and they need to have a cash reserve to carry them through the federal furlough. It could be a, a day, a week, a month, who knows? And they need to have a cash reserve to, to help them through this period. Well, let's hope Congress acts, but be ready in any case. Abe Grungold is owner of AG Financial Services and a retired 36-year federal employee. Thanks so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here, Tom. Thank you. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Put the Federal Drive on your list of podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your shows. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. After an exemplary career as a former executive at the FBI, focused on policy and strategy, Sasha O'Connell, Ph.D., is guiding future federal leaders as the executive in residence in the School of Public Affairs at American University. Sasha joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss her exciting career, the future of the federal workforce, and the lessons she's learned along the way. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Sasha O'Connell. Sasha is an executive in residence in the Department of Justice, Law, and Criminology at the School of Public Affairs at American University and spent the majority of her career at the FBI and most recently as the organization's chief policy advisor, science and technology and the Section Chief of Office and Policy for the FBI's Deputy Director. Sasha, welcome. Jane, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Can you give us an example of someone early in your career that motivated you, and then and, and how did what did that look like? Sure, absolutely. So it sounds almost cliche, but it was the dining room table. So I grew up um, with a stepfather who spent 30 years at the Veterans Administration at the VA, and he talked at the dinner table. He started as a social worker and then sort of rose up into management, administration, and leadership. And his stories, right, and his approach really, really impacted me. My mom, interestingly, ended up in a career in public service. She was a prosecutor. She's currently a retired state superior court judge. Um, But she had a big career change also in her 40s. She went back to law school in her 40s. So getting all of that in the mix at a young age at the dinner table really, really impacted me um, in really specific ways. Yeah, that's amazing. My my father was part of um, the generation that took pr- uh, President Kennedy's 
call to action. And he took that to heart, and he went and worked at the Department of Interior and a number of other places in federal service. So it's, it's catching when, when you're around it. You've held a number of leadership roles at the FBI, which is historically a male-dominated organization. What skills or traits helped you most as you navigated that? Yeah, it's such a, it's an interesting and challenging yeah. sort of situation and question. One I don't think I still am reflecting on. I've been out of the FBI about six years and I'm sort of still thinking about it. I think the bottom line was when I was there and I really grew up there, um, I didn't I didn't know any different. I grew up with male cousins and brothers and, you know, it was sort of a continuation of of my existence. So it did, you know, in retrospect, it, it was a really unique situation, but it didn't necessarily feel that way for me at the time. I think staying mission focused, staying not about me, staying flexible in terms of problem solving all helped me. I will say there's resources today that weren't there when I was there or certainly when I was starting out. There's a lot of affinity groups for women in national security, women in federal law enforcement. And I will say I think I would have really benefited from access to those kind of resources as I was coming up. Um, I had both incredible mentors, men and women, um, women across the organization who I became very close with, who were incredible supports, not just getting the job and starting out, but sort of matriculating through. But again, I'm really sort of proud of and involved in some of the work of those external organizations that bring women across government, um, executive women in government, and those kind of organizations together, because I think it is really, really helpful um, as one moves through. Yeah, we we actually work with a, a number of those too, and and go to their events and conferences and support them because it's important. How has your leadership style developed or changed over the years? Well, I think I've gotten a little more confident in it. Right, the seeds were there at that dining room table. One thing um, that carried through that I learned from my stepdad was to focus on the process. He would talk at dinner about big ideas or big changes and how to get from here to there was part of his day job, something he thought about explicitly, was getting other people on board, getting that stakeholder engagement, getting other people to think it was their idea if that was required. And that's something I started out with as a gift, right, that kind of approach. And then I got confidence in that, and then I added things. I will say, as I moved on, my appreciation for taking care of is maybe the wrong word, but really focusing on the people who work with you and for you in some instances um, you know, making sure that they have what they need to be successful in a tactical way. But then also something I definitely learned at the FBI as I went along is, you know, the importance of creating an environment that is supportive and inspiring. You know, we joke about it, but food has played a pretty serious role um, in my leadership style over time. Um, I learned from great mentors. I worked with Bill Estevez at the FBI who had a full-scale cappuccino maker at his cubicle, right, and would host coffee hour, and you'd see the steam rising across the cubicles. Um, I worked with a, a great friend who used to carry hot frittatas for breakfast celebrations on the, on the metro, right, in one of those sort of coolie bags. Um, and so I've sort of, I think it's been additive in terms of learning, gaining confidence in my approach, and then adding these pieces as I go that I've certainly learned from mentors and colleagues. And clearly you never let anything get in your way. You were mission focused, as you mentioned, and you just got the job done no matter what was in front of you. Well, I wish, I wish, and it was, it was that easy. I mean, I think we had a lot of success. Um, one thing has always been my approach when starting out as a leader, too, is to solve near-term problems. I always say sort of deliver short, and then you can push them long, right? So we've, we don't always succeed in those long-term goals or those, 
you know, sort of blue sky ideas as leaders we want to achieve. Um, but we deliver on those short term pieces, right? And you get that buy in from those stakeholders. And then often you can push toward those bigger dreams, hopes, aspirations, and goals. Um, I would like to say I was 100% on both fronts. <laughs> I'm not sure your characterization is 100% accurate there, but I'll take it um, in, this, in this sense. Looking back, what, what's one piece of advice you might have given your younger self when you first started? Yeah, it's, it's interesting today, too, working with students, I get that chance, right, to give my, essentially, my younger self um, advice every day. And one thing we talk a lot about, and I wish I had thought more explicitly about, is really, it's about calibration, right? And so I always think Emeril Lagasse would say, like, a stove has dials for a reason, right? It's not like all hot or all cold. And I think it's the same here. In some ways, in my career, I had to learn to tone it down, right? And to, you know, certainly at the FBI, sometimes you need to take that back seat at a meeting and wait to be invited to the table. And that's really the appropriate way to build rapport, relationships, and trust. Other times, I needed to learn to tune it up, right, to up the volume a little bit. Um, I had a wonderful boss, Dave Schlendorf, who we were in a meeting together with big bosses at the FBI once, and I was working for Dave. And we left the meeting, and we were walking back to the office, and I made a point. I don't even remember what the point was now. And he stopped in the hall and said, why didn't you say that in the meeting? You're not helping me, right? Telling me this now, now I have to go back and fix this. And I realized, so well, sometimes you have to tone it down, sometimes you have to tone it up, and that modulation, that sort of volume control about when to lean in and out, if you will, um, that's, you know, even just thinking about that explicitly for folks starting out, I think is really helpful because it's not one size fits all. Right. I, I totally agree and understand that. It isn't one size fits all, and a lot of leadership is described in bumper stickers, sayings, and I don't think that's realistic. I think it's situationally dependent, and you have to be self-aware and aware of your circumstances to adjust. That's well said. You're training the next generation, or helping to train them, federal leaders through AU's School of Public Affairs. How, How do we encourage, how do you encourage young people to answer the call of federal service? You know, I'm so lucky at AU. We, we draw in, right, students who are primed for this um, and who are passionate when they walk in our doors. Even with that population, you know, there, there are headwinds, right? USA Jobs, right? Just even getting educated, these pieces. So, so helping with that is a whole set of work. I'm also really passionate about, as you point out, reaching out to a diversity of folks who haven't even thought about these careers as careers. I had a conversation with a young woman the other day, and she was talking about law school. It's, I'm, I'm fully supportive of law school. And I said, have you ever thought about a career in, in federal service? And she said, uh, isn't that for old people? <laughs> I said, uh, <laughs> um, okay. So, you know, I mean, there's an education to do, right? Clearly, she's never seen the softball leagues, you know, down in the mall or kickball or any of the fun we all have in town where we certainly did when we were younger. But I, I really try, again, podcasts like this and other venues to put myself out there and really talk about what it's like, the opportunities I had at the FBI to be in the middle of the mission space and to explain that the federal government needs all kinds of skills, right, and diversity of thought, right, and diversity of people. So so there's that sort of working with the group that's primed for us, and we need to help them get over those barriers, get in and then stay and stay um, engaged and passionate and then there's reaching those new audiences. And there's a lot of work both places, but it's a lot of fun to work with young folks who are passionate about it. So I'm really lucky in my current job. And career civil service is a great path if somebody wants to take it. Our board is 100% SES level career civil servants. 
They are all dedicated. They have a real passion for what they're doing. They could go work anywhere, but they choose federal service. And there's no place, I always tell young folks who ask me about it, there's no place you're going to get the level of responsibility quickly as you do in federal service, right? And, and yes, yeah, sometimes things move slow. It's supposed to move slow, right? We talk about the reasons for that, too. But there's, there's really no other industry, maybe some startups you might get this experience, but really where you can be in the middle of mission space, whether you're passionate about the environment or national security or health care, you know, public health, and you're going to get in there quickly, um, and you're going to get in the mix and get exposure, experience, and opportunity for impact that's really unlike any other career. Perfect. Well, thank you, Sasha, and thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Shane Canfield, and this has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. Talk to you next time. Pop quiz. What can you buy for three ninety nine? Not a latte. But for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit.